All right. Welcome to this week's Six to Eight Weeks. I'm Brian Feely. I'm joined by Drew Lansdowne, one of my colleagues at UCSF Sports Medicine. Today, we have the um, pleasure to have Justin Croak, who's one of our prior residents who took a what we would call a non-traditional pathway um, past his residency and he, where he has done a career or he started a career doing both sports medicine, general uh, orthopedic surgery, and also artificial intelligence and natural language processing. And he took an internship working for Google um, to kind of look at that interaction between how uh, computers and healthcare can work. So welcome, Justin. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, so first of all, can you describe a little bit about your pathway um, where you, we, obviously you trained with us, but what made you start thinking about trying to do this? Did you have a background in computer science? And then at what point did you decide that it would be a good idea to transition to a non um, straight through get a job pathway? Sure. Yeah. So my, my uh, path to Google actually starts a long time ago. Um, I have, you know, I, my family was big on trying to keep journals as a, as a child. I feel like I never really did that, but I do have a single entry from when I was like 13 or 14 that says I either want to be a doctor or a computer programmer. So from a very early age, I was interested in both medicine and technology. Um, as I got older, um, those interests continued. So I remember in college, um, I actually really enjoyed medicine and was thinking strongly about medicine, but also uh, did a minor in computer science. Um, I worked as a programmer at that time, um, just for like a local organization there at, at the college I was at. Um, and actually thought about doing that, but really um, felt I was missing the impact that you had, or I thought you would have in medicine, uh, which is a big reason that I continued the, uh, the journey into medicine as opposed to just a computer science career. Um, but I enjoyed the problem solving, the building that you do with computer science, where you have a problem, right? And then within a couple of days, you can get the solution that works and is um, um, quite satisfying to do. But again, didn't have the, the impact that you might have um, helping other people. So went to medical school um, at Washington St. Louis. There had a pretty traditional um, time. Did have a, you know, a moment in my third year of medical school where a, a fellow classmate had an idea for um, a kind of med tech startup type thing. He had this concept for essentially a media sharing service for surgeons to share securely videos and other um, surgical media with each other. And so we worked on that for a little while, for a few months, um, ended up dying, but really didn't have any big thoughts that there would be, you know, a large part of my career that would be technology. Just that that was kind of something separate and siloed at that time. I came out here to UCSF um, for orthopedic surgery, did not come to San Francisco because of, you know, it's, it's background in technology, came here because I'd done an away rotation and I loved people like Dr. Healy and Dr. Lance down here. Um, but when I got here, was obviously in, injected into the scene and technology and things happening around, began to be a little bit interested in ways um, in which I could combine those previous interests I'd had, both in medicine and technology. Um, and then it was in my third year of being a resident where I really came, or was turned on to machine learning and saw what was happening um, with machine learning and AI, specifically in medicine, and saw oh, this is a way that people are starting to really think about using um, technology to um, to make change and improve healthcare, and saw that as a really interesting and unique way, perhaps, to combine these two interests I had for a long time. Um, so, you know, that's a busy time of residency for sure. Your third year as an orthopedic resident, you're still a junior resident, you're still taking in house call, 
um, you're very busy, but did what I could to begin to kind of get involved in that space. Um, so I did some self-directed learning, learned um, did some courses on machine learning and deep learning, learned um, some of the, you know, I, I had a previous programming experience, but nothing in Python and the different frameworks that you use um, for these particular tools. And so I learned those frameworks started doing some research in orthopedic surgery using um, AI for computer vision type stuff and radiology, um, and then did some consulting as well. Um, and as I did that, I, I really, really enjoyed it and saw that my interest, um, you know, not only was it fun to be in technology, but also my passion and interest for medicine was enhanced by this kind of stuff. I found myself thinking about um, orthopedics and medicine in new and interesting ways and really found my, my love of what I was doing enhanced in all ways. So I was really, really interested in making something out of that, but um, didn't know what that meant and didn't have a lot of mentors um, to look to, or at least direct mentors, I thought. Certainly there are people in orthopedics who are involved in different things. There's uh, a number of you know biomedical engineers, for example, who work with device um, companies to help you know, create um, different implants and things like that, but not as many who are in, you know, medical technology, right, in computer science. And so I felt like I was a little bit on my own and was kind of charting this course. And really what helped kind of cement my final path towards Google is when I took the advice of my wife and just went and talked to Dr. Vale, who is our chairman here, and just asked his advice. And, um, and I was surprised that he was super supportive. He, you know, instead of thinking this was some weird thing that was heretical and, and kind of outside the norm of medicine, he thought it was great and he thought it would be an important area of innovation in medicine and orthopedics in specific. And he thought um, working in that space would not, you know, be a, well, it would be unusual, it would not be a bad thing. It would actually be something that would enhance the field. So it's super supportive, um, which I was surprised by. And that, that was kind of universally the case with the mentors I talked to at UCSF. Actually, they had the, the vision to see that even though this was different, this was not bad and was something that would complement a career in medicine. Um, so with that, I continued kind of to do the, um, um, the work that I've been doing and research and consulting. And then I came across an opportunity that existed um, to do what's called like an AI residency at Google, where you can go and specifically work on healthcare problems in AI. And it's designed for people like myself who are physicians or otherwise in healthcare who have some experience, but want more experience working on machine learning problems and um, learning how to apply those to medicine. Um, so I guess, you know, I can't get enough of residency. So I decided to, to apply to that program. Um, got in, and that's what I started right after um, right after finishing my surgical residency in the summer of 2020. Nice. And um, Justin, maybe for those who don't have much background, can you explain um, what artificial intelligence, natural language processing, some of these like terms, yeah. um, like how do you describe those to um, you know most people, including sure. me? Yeah, yeah. Give us some insight on this. Yeah, um, yeah. So, artificial intelligence is a very general term, um, and, and really, what artificial intelligence means is the attempt to try to do things that humans do um, by artificial means or you know by a computer, right? So that could mean, um, and this this tends to move over time, right? As we become more sophisticated in technology, we think of artificial intelligence perhaps in more complex ways than was previously thought. So, for as an example of that, you know as when computing was new, we thought of the, the simple task of computation as being artificial intelligence. So, you know, taking numbers and multiplying them together automatically with the calculator um, was something humans did, right? And so that was a, a tool of artificial intelligence. Now we think of that as something super simple 
doesn't require intelligence, so it's not necessarily um, in that domain. But that just kind of makes the case, right? That artificial intelligence is this very broad effort and field to automate things that humans do well. And it doesn't have a precise definition. Um, so it's kind of a big, big um, umbrella term. Machine learning is a specific subdomain of artificial intelligence. Um, so, you know, fits within that kind of larger umbrella. And what machine learning is, is the effort to help machines learn from data automatically. Um, so you're essentially, so, you know, you're, you're approaching artificial intelligence, trying to solve things humans do, um, that typically humans do, but your approach in this setting is by helping, by feeding machines data and having algorithms that allow these machines to learn from this data without having to um, directly program it. So I think it's helpful to think of a counterexample. So um, to really kind of cement what that means. In the past, it was very common, and these still do exist. One very common approach to artificial intelligence was known as like expert systems. Um, and the idea of expert systems was if we just had enough rules encoded, right, into a system, we could make really intelligent decisions. We could solve human intelligence just by encoding rules. So in the past, for example, um, with natural language processing and things like that, and um, what people would do is they would try to write up, you know, imagine like a decision tree, right? And in every single branch point, there's some rule. And if yes, go left, if right, if no, go right. And you try to really hard code those rules in place. Um, and you can get a fair you know, a fair, uh, fair way down the path of artificial intelligence doing that. And there was a lot of success doing that in the 80s. But you're running the problems where you have a hard, when you, get, when you have a hard time explaining why humans do something, right? Um, so that might work well for teaching a computer to play chess, perhaps, if you can kind of outline some general rules and the strategy that it might follow. But you might struggle to teach a computer, for example, how to read an x-ray. Um, you know, I can read an x-ray, I can look at an x-ray. Um, and tell you, you know, what's there, but it's challenging for me to say what pixel one and pixel two, pixel three, pixel four mean, right? And to make rules based on how bright pixel one is versus pixel 1006, right? That's a very challenging thing. And so that's kind of the, the power of machine learning is, okay, we don't have to necessarily have the rules in place. We can have just data feed it to the machine, have some algorithm by which it learns from this data automatically. Um, and therefore avoid kind of this problem of having to explicitly specify how humans do it. And even if you could explicitly specify the other problem is often, as we all can imagine, right? These rules aren't perfectly followed, right? So you may have, even if you couldn't specify how exactly you read an X-ray, well, we'd quickly come across examples where, um, where you break from that norm, if that makes sense, you make exceptions. And so those are really hard to encode. So that's kind of the power of machine learning. Deep learning is a field um, specifically within machine learning that has gained a lot of excitement recently, which is, I think, the thing most people think about when you're thinking about artificial intelligence and medicine and the excitement. And deep learning is a specific type of machine learning where the algorithm or the model rather that is used to um, make these predictions or do whatever learning you're trying to do is something called a neural network. Um, and a neural network is just a, a specific type of machine learning model um, that has certain properties that allow it to learn very, very complex associations between inputs and outputs. So as mentioned, machine learning, you're learning, you're learning associations from data automatically. And in the case of deep learning, you can learn very, very complex um, associations. So it's great for things like um, computer vision where you're trying to teach a computer how to read an image, which again, as mentioned, would be really hard to do on a rule basis. Deep learning can, um, can learn these very, very complex and hierarchical um, 
associations between, you know, pixels, for example, and what an image is, or in the case of natural language processing, it can take, you know, raw text, right, and, and tell you what exactly is being said in that raw text, um, which is a complex task, right? So that's kind of the, the three big, I think, umbrella terms that are used in this space. You know, artificial intelligence is the big kind of umbrella bucket that includes both. And then you have machine learning as a subset of that. And then deep learning as a subset of that fits within machine learning. Yeah, I totally understand that now. It makes a lot of sense. Um, right. I'm curious, you know, in the next 10 years, at least in healthcare and medicine, what can, what do you see from a patient facing side? What will computers practically allow physicians to do and how will that help patient care? That's a great question. So I think that, you know, there's a great quote um, from, I think his name is Roy Amara. He's an old Stanford computer scientist. And um, this is a quote, I think from the sixties maybe. And he says, um, we overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate its effect in the long run. And I think that's really accurate. Um, you see that in technology overall. I think if you think about, you know, I don't know the exact date when we started having GPS and consumer devices, but I would never have guessed that GPS would underpin just what it does in my life, right? When it came out, I would, or when I first interfaced with GPS, I'm like, oh, this would be great to navigate maybe in cities I haven't been before, right? And now I use GPS and every single trip I take in my car, I use GPS when I'm on Strava, you know, an athletic tracking device. I use GPS all the time, right? And I never could have guessed that. And I think I have, I have a very similar feeling with uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So, you know, as an, as an aside, or to answer your question, about 10 years ago, there was this big kind of revolution in deep learning where all of a sudden a deep learning based model um, surpassed what was being done by other machine learning models in computer vision. Um, and this was a big moment and kind of, um, there had been a, you know, a, a period of a couple of decades where deep learning had kind of fallen off the scene and was not, um, not thought to be necessarily the best method. And again, 10 years ago, 2012, this changed. Over the next couple of years, um, things moved really quickly until 2015, 16, these models were um, beginning to be better than humans were at certain specific tasks. So one of these is called ImageNet, where you're trying to just classify regular images as dogs or cats or whatever. And that's about the time that these models surpassed what humans could do, which, you know, a few years previous was just unthinkable. I mean, we were so far off of what humans could do. Um, so anyway, there's a lot, I think at that time, there's this, all this excitement and um, excitement about machine learning and deep learning, but also a lot of fear, and especially in medicine, that, oh, wow, this is going to overtake everything, right? And that um, physicians are going to be replaced, radiologists are going to be replaced, um, and that hasn't really played out. I mean, we're now, you know, seven years past 2015, right? And what is, you know, this stuff doing in, in computer science? And so I think this, this quote kind of really plays into this question in this space. I think what we're seeing right now already is machine learning beginning to underpin a lot of things that you do silently in the background. Um, you're seeing things like um, um, electronic medical record manufacturers, for example, create machine learning based tools, right, to help detect things like sepsis and problems in ICU patients and give you prompts. You're seeing things um, like natural language processing and these same uh, electronic medical record manufacturers begin to process notes more smartly perhaps and suggest um, things to order, things you might do based on what you've written, right? In your assessment and plan. Um, we're beginning to see some image-based tools that provide assistance to radiologists to help um, help make diagnosis. For example, a, pre a previous project we did here at UCSF was detecting hip fracture. 
And we're currently in the process of implementing that into the clinical setting so that this algorithm will run silently in the background. And when it detects a hip fracture um, from an x-ray that was just taken, it can surface this um, to the radiologists more quickly so that they get to this image quickly, right? And avoid the couple hour wait it might take for them to typically get to, um, typically get to, uh, to that x-ray. So I think in the next five, 10 years, what we're gonna begin to see, again, it's not, this is, it's not gonna be, I think it is really exciting. I'm very bullish, obviously, on this space, but it's not gonna be an, a takeover of medicine by technology, at least in, in an overt sense. But what you're gonna see is in more and more areas, um, almost somewhat silently, I think, you're gonna begin to feel the impact of artificial intelligence and deep learning in specific, begin to kind of underpin a lot of what we do and support and augment, I think, the decision-making processes, processes that we go through um, as doctors. And hopefully a lot of that will be tools that will make our life easier and better and, autom and uh, help automate some of the maybe more boring things that we do, drawing angles on x-rays, for example, and things like that. Hopefully it begins to begin the, the job of the machine. Um, and so I agree. I think there's you know a lot of potential, a lot of excitement. What do you think is not in the future? Uh, like what is too fantastical or just not feasible with um, you know, what we're seeing at this point? Yeah, I, mean, I think I alluded to this a little bit in my previous answer where I think that there was a lot of excitement but also fear that we were going to be replacing um, doctors, right? And oh, how secure is my future? And I think we are just so far away from, um, from anything like that. I mean, I would have no concern telling my, even my eight-year-old son, do whatever you want, at least in medicine and as a physician, I think it'd be pretty secure. I think that, you know, complex decision-making um, is something that, humans are really, really good at, and um, machines are still very much, um, you know, kind of infants at this stage, right? We, we get all excited because, you know, some algorithm can perform as well as a human, well, that's great, but that's one particular diagnosis that that algorithm can make, right? And at this point, if you wanted to detect all of the different things that you maybe could as a pathologist, which or a, um, as a radiologist, for example, maybe, maybe they have a thousand or 10,000 diagnoses in their brain they can use. But that's going to take a long time to individually train, right? Um, all those different models that detect each of those different things, right? And then to run each image through or to run each image through all of those different models to get those predictions and then somehow sum those together. It's just something that we're, um, um, we're just not there. We're not even really close to being there, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, what's not the future are these kind of, is, is a broad takeover by machines or a need to fear the machines. I think what you're gonna see is specific use cases and support in those use cases for um, existing providers and physicians. Um, and I think things will change. Obviously your, your workflow may change. There may be some areas in which, you know, your life is easier because of this and you have to do less work in this particular thing. But in terms of um, it replacing any kind of given Specialty, I think that's that is not at least in the immediate future. I think that's you know something still for the science fiction movies. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That it takes potentially years for a computer to learn how to read different hip X-rays, but it also takes humans years to read different hip X-rays. But during that time, we're also learning how to read pelvis X-rays, knee X-rays, yeah. etc., MRIs and CTs. So the back-end amount of work that goes into putting um, efforts into computer programming to design these um, makes it really complicated and makes you sort of appreciate how hard it is for humans to learn all this stuff. Um, I always find it interesting when patients say that, well, I really want the robot 
to do my total hip or total knee or total shoulder. And the reality is, is I think there, the, the way you put it is really nice. It's a nice augmentation of human um, capabilities. It's not going to necessarily replace it. And that's a lot of what the computers do in, in the intraoperative setting. They end up making our cuts a little bit more precise. They really get rid of the statistical errors doing a big mistake. Um, we have one final question, which I think is really important today. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about AI and machine learning. Um, given the news yesterday, is Tom Brady a robot? <laughs> I actually missed the news. What was the news yesterday? Is he coming back? Yeah, he's coming back to Tampa Bay. I think he saw his oh 401k drop and gas prices and he said <laughs> one year, one more year sounds about right. Short, short retirement. You know, at, at some point, maybe we need, we need to set an age. At some point, if he's still playing at the level he's playing, we've got to be suspicious that uh, there's a great quote, right? What is it? When you've excluded the, when you've excluded the probable, the unprobable is likely. So, you know, at some point, if he keeps playing at this level, then you've got to consider he may be a robot for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think he is. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Hopefully that was informative for everybody who listens and uh, we'll see you soon next week.